You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You ready to get into the Word this morning? That's good, because we're going to, ready or not. Um, so, a couple weeks ago, of course, Justin was here last week. Two weeks ago, I told you we were done with our uh, Pray Without Ceasing series. How many of you believed that when I said it? Anybody? No. Okay. You guys are great. No, Perry did. Well, you'll learn. Uh, no, well, in the meantime, uh, I felt like that we needed to take a week or maybe two. Uh, I was looking to see what time it is. Um, to separately, specifically address the role of intercession, prayer of intercession. Most of, well, and, and I've got a lot of ways I could go with this, so bear with me. I've told you along as we were studying through all these issues about prayer that I feel that a, a majority of our prayer time should actually be spent in devotional prayer because I think that's where all other prayers birthed from. In other words, that time in intimacy with God, worshiping him, knowing him, knowing his heart. I believe very strongly that as we pray, any whether we're praying for something for ourselves or we're praying for somebody else or we're praying a prayer of consecration and dedication, whatever it might be, we need to be praying in full agreement with the heart of God. And of course, we have the Holy Spirit in us to, to partner with us in prayer and enable us to do that. But that's why I believe so much in devotional prayer. We can come to God with so many different things that are just their concerns for us and so their concerns for God. Uh, he does care about those things which concern you. He cares about the details of your life. But we can come with so many things if we're just looking around the world. I mean, it's, it's endless what we can pray for. And many times those prayers come out of, uh, they come out of fear or anxiety or concern or hopelessness. I mean, and, and we talked about the fact that there are times for just bringing our heart to God and saying, Lord, this is what I'm feeling, but we don't want to end there. We want to pick up on what his word says, what his heart is, and pray that into the situation. Okay, if we want to see change, we want to pray that way into these situations. So I think it's as, as we come to the prayer of intercession, all of that being said about our devotional life, out of that devotional life, much, most of what we pray is going to somehow fall under this category of intercession. Intercession means we are standing in the gap for someone else. We are praying for someone else. And I want to define that a little bit because I think there's just an awful lot of uh, misunderstanding about some of this. Uh, When we say, you know, standing in the gap, we see all through the Scripture all through the scripture. I only pulled out a few verses for this teaching. All through the scripture, we see people praying for other people, right? We see, we see Abraham praying for a city. We see 
Uh, we, well, just, just, I mean, you name it, we see people praying for other people. That's what intercession is. We pray for other people. We pray for our communities. We pray for our families. We pray for our government. We pray for our world. All of that is intercession. We are interceding. We are coming between many times someone who doesn't know God and God and trying to reconcile the two. We, we are trying to bring the two together. We are trying to, you know, we think about that term. We'll look at some verses on that. We think about that term reconciliation or to reconcile. You know, for when that means we are trying to bring two things that haven't been um, congruent or compatible maybe together. You know, from a financial standpoint for you guys that work with this kind of stuff all the time, uh, you know, when you reconcile two accounts, you make them agree. You you have these different sets of numbers. They need to agree. They might be two different accounts, two different, might represent two different things, but they need to agree. That's reconciliation. And the intercessor stands between and brings together. That's what intercessory prayer is. Okay. The thing is, and I'm going to read you a you can turn over to Ezekiel 22 with me right now, Ezekiel 22, and we're going to begin in verse 29. We use a lot of Old Testament references about intercession, and that's fine, but we do need to understand that we don't live in that covenant. So we have to do a little bit of translation when we read some of these verses and understand what our role is as intercessors, because when I think about the idea of the church in, in an intercessory role, the fact we emphasize so often the verses that say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. That's an intercessory prayer. We are calling for and trying to pull on what Jesus has already provided and release it or distribute it to people who don't have it yet or, or need it, or even if they do have it, they need more of it. We intercede, I said a minute ago, that we often are interceding for people that don't know God. That's true, but oftentimes we're interceding for people who do know God. Our intercessory prayers for both believers and unbelievers. It's simply coming and trying to take hold of what the Lord has already provided through Jesus Christ and release it over somebody else's life. So here in Ezekiel 22, this is just one example. There are many of these throughout the scripture. This is an example of a place where God himself, old, this is old covenant. Remember, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. Sin had not been paid for. There was a system of sacrifice in place and all of that. But what we have in the Old Testament throughout the old covenant, what we see, it is a picture of the effect, the powerful effect that sin has without grace and redemption in place yet. So we see sin and judgment because judgment does follow sin. But Jesus has become the greatest intercessor and mediator between God and man. We live in a different place, okay? We live in a different covenant. But when we read Old Testament scriptures, that's what we see. So here in Ezekiel 22, let's just read it. Verse 29, this is the amplified version. It says, the people of the land have used oppression and extortion and have committed robbery. Yes, they have wronged and vexed the poor and needy. Yes, they have oppressed the stranger and the temporary resident wrongfully, 
And I, God, sought a man among them who should, notice this, because here are the principles, build up the wall. That speaks of putting up a place of protection around people. That's a part of intercessory prayer. We are, we are, put, we are always going to look to bring protection around people. I looked for a person who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I repaid. I think that's really interesting. Their own way, what they have chosen. I have repaid by bringing it upon their own heads, says the Lord God. Again, that's an example in in the Old Testament. What we would see was sin and the consequences of sin and immediate judgment. Jesus has taken our judgment upon himself. He has paid the price for sin. And for anyone who accepts that, we stand in a different covenant. Thank God. Thank God. I mean, I'm so glad that we don't live in that era where every sin that was committed, there was immediate, there was either, there was either the proper sacrifice or there was immediate judgment upon that. When it talks about standing the gap for the land here, it's talking about the nation, you know, the nation of Israel. And of course, this is uh, talking about one of the uh, judgments that came upon them. So that when we talk about the gap, standing in the gap, it's referring to any place of separation that comes between God and man because of the sin condition in the earth or because of the way a person's unbelief, the way that they're living. The point I want to make, and if you don't get anything else today, please get this point. When we intercede, and I think this is a big misunderstanding today about intercession, and not with everybody, but in certain circles, we are not contending with God. We are not standing in the gap trying to protect somebody from the wrath of God. Jesus already did that, okay? We are not standing, contending and resisting and saying, okay, God, calm down, calm down. We know, you know, we know this person's life isn't lining up with you. Calm down, you're angry, settle down, take a breath, you know, uh, bless them instead of hurting them. We're not there standing, trying to defend them from God. It is God in fact, turn over with me to 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That is not God's position today. I'm, I, God I, I, is waiting up there to release wrath and release judgment, and it's just our prayers that are barely holding him back. Now, that's probably your flesh. Because you're angry with whoever you're praying for. You're disgusted by whoever you're praying for. And so you've taken it into your head that God is too. And he is ready to just club them, given a chance. And so you're going to be the hero and stand in the middle and keep them from doing that. That's not who God is. And on this side of the cross, that's not where God's at. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, It was God, the Father, personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message, 
whether it's coming through our prayers or our preaching or our discussions, the message of reconciliation, of restoration to favor. All right, so again, it was God the Father. A lot of people still have the idea that God the Father is an angry God. He's a wrathful God. And that his son Jesus came and went to the cross and shed his blood and took our sin so that now he can hold back the wrath of the Father. Because look look what I did, and so now I can hold back the wrath of the, the still wrathful Father. I've known a number of people who grew up with that exact idea about God. One of my very good friends, uh, who's now in heaven, dirtbag, uh, is... is uh, Anyway, is sorry. Um, this verse broke that whole idea in his life. It was this verse. I love to hear him preach on this verse because it broke that whole idea when he realized, oh, God wanted to reconcile man. Any gap that exists, it's not because God is rejecting people. God has reached out to people through the cross. He has made available salvation to every person. It is not because God is separating himself from people. It's because people, mankind in general, has chosen to separate themselves from God through choosing sin. And so there's this sin condition still in the earth. But we are this side. Is this making sense? We're this side of the cross. And so now what we are doing is we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. We are praying the heart of the Father and the heart of the Son and the heart of the Holy Spirit to grab hold of the salvation that Jesus has brought and every aspect of that salvation and pray it over people. Pray it over, this is terrible terminology, the deserving and the undeserving. Nobody deserves it. None of us deserve the salvation that we have. None of us. But we have it by grace. And so we can stand in the gap. And we are providing. Remember that verse in Ezekiel said that I need somebody to stand in the gap. And the first thing was to build up the wall. To protect. A lot of the time we are praying against the strategies of Satan that are keeping people blinded to the gospel. We pray this all the time that people's eyes would be opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would be able to see him for who he is, not what they've been taught that he is, not what they've decided he is, not what the media has told them that he is, but they would be able to see who he is. They would be able to experience the love of God and that the demonic strategies set in place to keep them blinded to that word would be broken in the name of Jesus. We stand in the gap, again, not contending with God, sometimes contending with demonic forces and, and grabbing hold of releasing through our prayers the favor and the blessing and of God and the drawing of the Holy Spirit and the softening of hearts. You see what I mean? So we're standing there, we're praying God's best over people, whether they're believers or whether they are unbelievers. And let me say this, as far as this whole thing goes, it was God in Christ reconciling man to himself. He has, spiritually speaking, in Christ, all of mankind has been 
reconciled. Those accounts have been evened out. And that, what that does is that creates an opportunity for every person to receive salvation. Every person to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every person. That's already done. Thank goodness we don't have to live by what we've, we've always referred to it as um, living with a tally board mentality about sin. Sin has been paid for. And as we receive it, we receive the forgiveness that we have by grace. We receive what Jesus has done. We are cleansed. We are forgiven. The tally board thing, think about it with me for a minute, because a lot of Christians still live this way. The tally board thing means, it's like if you had a big whiteboard, and every day you got up, and you'd, you'd do something wrong, you'd sin some way, and you'd write that down. You know, I got, I got mad at my wife and kids, and I yelled at them before I went to work, so I write that down. Well, but, but then I went to get coffee, and I paid for the person behind me in the line. And so that kind of takes care of that sin. I was nice to somebody, so that takes care of me being mean to somebody. And then I was at work, and I was dealing with a client, and I didn't, I didn't lie to him, but I didn't tell him the whole truth. I kind of misled him. That's lying. And, and so, uh, so, you know, I, I lied to him. But then at lunchtime, uh, I, I brought coffee back for my coworker. So I put that on this side. So we have this, we have this spreadsheet in our heads of the, of the sins that we've done in our life, but the good things we're trying to do to make up for it. It's, it's a system of works. And in that whole thing, that whole thing, that whole thing, not just one side, but the other side, when we look at it, where is our trust in that? Where is our faith? It's in my good works. It's in me doing enough things. There are so many problems with this theologically, I won't even start. Number one, we're all born into a sin condition that we, before we do anything right or wrong, we are sons of Adam and we are born into a sin condition in this earth and we need a savior. So the tally board doesn't even address that. There isn't even a column for what we call original sin on the tally board. But let's just talk about individual sins and individual good works. When we live like that, when our head works like that, we are, we are saying, I trust in something I did here to make up for something I did there to make me right with God. Equals, I'm right with God over here. The problem, one of the many problems with that, is that my trust in this is in me. It's in my ability to do it right. And the scripture says, anything that is not of birth from faith toward God is sin. So since I'm in the good column, I'm trusting in me. So in the bad column, well, that's sin. I agree. I, I even put sin up there. Okay. The good works column is still sin. Every one of those good works becomes sin because it wasn't birthed out of faith in Jesus Christ. It was birthed out of faith in me and me being able to do enough good things to make up for the bad things. So the whole spreadsheet becomes sin. Scripture says in another place that our works of righteousness, when we're trying to make ourselves right with God through good works, God said those works are like filthy 
rags before me. And what that meant in the literal Hebrew was it was talking about menstrual cloths. So it was, it was used bloody cloths. Sorry if that grossed anybody out. That's what the scripture said. That's what our, when we're trusting in us, our good works are like before God. The only thing you could do with that is it either needs to be cleansed or burned. Okay, one or the other. But the whole tally board becomes sin. It essentially becomes sin. So thank God we don't have to live that way because the Father was personally present in Jesus Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to himself. So as an intercessor, I'm not standing there trying to contend with God and talk the angry God into not hurting these people that I care about but are not living for God. God is, and Jesus, they're birthing in me the love and the blessing that he has for them. His birthing in me a sense of, I want to protect these people essentially from themselves. If, if they don't know God and they're living apart from God and they're reaping the consequences of their sin because even though we live in this time of restoration and reconciliation, sin, New Testament, still produces death. It produces the result of separation from God. It's bad stuff. It produces ugly things in your life. So it's still important. I'm not minimizing the importance of sin. I'm saying there's only one solution to it. Is this making any sense? So I just want to really I just wanted to really hammer this point. When we think about intercessory prayer, it is a declaration of what Jesus has done for these people and a resisting the devil that would try and ruin their lives and try and block them from hearing the message. Does that make sense to you? Just say yes so I can move on. Yes, great. All right, so let's look at some things that the New Testament says um, about intercession, some ideas about intercession. So I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 first. Hebrews 7, 25. It says, therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save forever, completely, perfectly for eternity those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf with God. All right, Jesus always lives to intercede and intervene on their behalf. That speaks of the fact that, you know, we read John chapter 17. That's a great example of Jesus praying for the church. He does, I believe he does pray for us. Not everybody believes that. I believe that he does pray for us and intercede in that way. But the bigger picture is that his work always stands for eternity as as the what created the redemption for mankind as what created the reconciliation his blood always speaks of forgiveness of the washing away of sin and so not only does jesus speak to the father on our behalf but his work stands as a monumental work of intercession for everybody on the planet, for everybody who's ever been born, ever will be born. It is a, it is, he, he, his, his life, his ministry is an act of reconciliation. All right, go to, or write it down at least, go to Galatians chapter four, verses 19 and 20. Again, I just really picked a few verses here to look at. Galatians chapter four, 
verses 19 and 20. This is Paul writing, of course. And he says, writing to the Galatian church, it's actually a region, it was more than one church, but he says, my dear children, so it expresses his heart. You know, Paul was an apostle, and what an apostle does is they are sent. It means a sent one. They go someplace new, essentially, with the gospel. And they get people saved, first of all. They're usually signs and wonders and miracles in their ministry. Then they raise up leadership. And then they move on and do that again in another place. They raise up churches, they raise up leadership, and generally they move on to another place and do that again, staying in contact and relationship with the people that they have raised up to be local church leadership. So that's what an apostle is and that's what an apostle does. So he's praying over these churches and he's calling them my dear children. He has them in his heart. He knew them. He had a relationship with them. An apostle is not somebody who just flies into town and tells you that, oh, I'm your apostle and so uh, you need to start tithing to me. We've had that happen here um, as, as a local church. That's not what an apostle is. An apostle gives his life for people and raising them up and that And uh, so Paul calls these people, he says, my dear children. And he says this, I I really love this. He says, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is a great description of what much of intercession is like and feels like. And, And let me say this right here. We are all called to intercede. A part of our prayer life should be, must be, intercession for other people. God will put it on your heart to pray for people. But there are individuals who are primarily called as intercessors. And to be honest, they can be a little weird because God shows them things and God puts things they feel they see. And this, again, I don't have scripture on this. This is just my experience. They feel things so strongly for people. It can be, for, for somebody who is called to be an intercessor, it's really important that they do spend loads of time just fellowshipping with God. Because one of the places we get totally off track in intercession is when we focus too much on the people we're interceding for, whether we're seeing progress or not, what the situation is like, we're praying for some situation in the world, whether that's changing or not. When our eyes go down there, it's really easy to lose hope or to just get off track. But when our our eyes stay on the Lord, we can be continually filled with hope. We're continually filled with strength. We're continually filled with his plan. And it's such a pleasure and such a, uh, there's so much strength in just praying out what God's heart is over people. You should come out of intercession really happy. You should come out of intercession just excited and, and, and knowing that God is moving in these people's lives. It should be like that. But for for a lot of people, they just end up, you know, because they just, and any of us can do it. It's just always a temptation to get too focused on the people or the circumstance or whatever it is. And so Paul says here, I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That means the word again, he's talking about the fact that when he was there with these churches in the first place, 
ministering to these people in the first place. They were unbelievers. They were idolaters. They were involved in all kinds of different idolatry. And he came in and he had God's heart for them. And he spoke the word to them. And they, many of them received that word and they were born again. And, and Paul, again, he knew them. He had spent years in these places. He knew them and he prayed over them that they would be saved, that that seed would be planted in their heart, that it would come up. He had that kind of relationship. Now he's somewhere else and he's writing this letter. And, he's, and there's a problem in the region because other people have come in and said, no, no, no. In Galatians, this is what the book of Galatians is about. They said, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, you can make Jesus Lord of your life, but you still need to keep the whole law or you're not really saved. You're not going to heaven unless you keep the details of the law. And Paul's coming back in that letter and saying, no, you're missing the point. It's a, if you're confused about grace and works, read Galatians. I mean, that's what the book is about. And, and so he's coming back and, and he's seen this. He's seen this bad doctrine get into these people that he loves and he's seen them kind of fall back into this stuff and they're confused. And, and right now his prayer feels like labor pains. It is coming upon him to pray for them again until Christ be formed. That means shaped. It means fashioned until their life begins to look like grace and like the uh, the ministry of Jesus again. And and he says, I'm once again in this place of labor pains. And that's such a good description because what intercession that comes from the Lord, a call to intercede for somebody, comes like that. Now, I've never been in labor, okay? But my understanding is it can be difficult. Is that, is, sounds like, yeah, it can be difficult. Okay. Thank you. Uh, it's, it can be painful. It is work. It is, it is work to bring forth life, right? And it is, and it, and it comes, labor comes in waves. And that's kind of intercession is you'll feel the Lord just put something on your heart and you will need to pray over that person or that situation. There were things uh, just, you know, two nights ago, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night, gave me some real specific things to pray for Justin. And it just, you know, at labor uh, intercession often wakes you up in the middle of the night. You know, it's just part of the deal. Those of you that have little kids, those of you that were pregnant, did you lose some sleep? You do with intercession too. It comes upon you and it's a need to pray and it comes in waves and then there's a release. And I'm not even going to get there this morning, but one of the issues about intercession is that it is ongoing. We've looked at some other kinds of prayer. Like when you're asking for something for yourself, most of the time you're just dealing with your will and God's will. Maybe I should say it the other way. God's will, God's word, and your will. So you can come to the Lord and you can ask him for something or ask him to take you to another place. And that's all there is there. It's like, I agree with you, God. And, and so that's where that prayer stands. When you're interceding, there's God's will and your will and somebody else's will. And that's a big difference because God doesn't violate a person's will. That's why we need to intercede for them and pray that they'd be willing to receive what God is doing in their life, that they would come to a knowledge of their Savior, that they would come to those places because we are not, intercession is never spiritual manipulation, trying to force people to a place. That's another big mistake that happens in intercession. People are trying to uh, force people 
to receive the will of God. We don't get to do that. That is witchcraft. That is using spiritual power to try and manipulate people. That's witchcraft. That's not what we do. We, we take hold of God's heart for them and we pray it out over them. If you want to use spiritual force to change something, do it against the devil. We don't force people. God doesn't force people, okay? So, so intercession tends to come in waves and it comes upon you and you work at it. You strive at it. You'll, you'll find yourself very involved as you pray out God's love and heart for people and things will come up that amaze you as far as what God's plan is for a person that you had no idea. You'll see them in his light. But that'll all happen, and then it'll lift. And at the point that it lifts, you can move on in your prayer. There's no point in continuing to try and manufacture stuff on your own. And then it'll come again. It'll come in waves just like labor. We're going to see, I guess it's going to be next week, we'll see that this is how God brings forth life on earth. We're going to look back at Genesis and look at some things. This is what God does. He incubates the seeds that he sows. He has somebody, a lot of our prayer is about incubating seed in somebody's life. Many times in intercession, you won't even know who you're praying for. You'll just know that you have this burden to pray and you'll begin to pray for him. Many times we just pray in the spirit. We just pray in other tongues. And, and this thing will come and it's very strong and then it'll lift. You'll have a release. And it's ongoing. And that's the thing. You may pray for somebody. The, the, what are the stopping points for intercession? Well, number one, if God gives you a release and says, you're done, you've done your part, okay? And I have other things going on. You're done. Whether the situation is resolved or not, sometimes he releases you and there's no point in you just trying to do that on your own. Number two, the change comes. You know, somebody gives their life to the Lord or whatever. Then usually your prayer will just shift for them into Christ being formed in them and them being discipled and growing, that kind of thing. If it's a situation that's out there, there there are many instances in the Bible where God had somebody pray over a situation all their life. And they died in faith, waiting for that thing to come. And somebody else picked up. It eventually came, but not in their lifetime. So another stopping point for us in intercession is if we die. If you die, then you don't have to pray for that person anymore. Okay? You're, you're released. All right? The, the important thing is that this is, it is a, it is a birthing of something that is on God's heart. And it's a huge, huge part of our prayers, okay, of, of our prayers, all right? I probably need to just stop right there because if I get into this next thing, we're going to go, oh, it's 11.02. <laughs> I'm released. The clock released me. All right, did you get anything out of that? I feel like I was just rambling, but oh well. All right, let's stand up and pray together. Thank you, Lord. Father, Lord, we stand here in this place at this time. Lord, and Lord, we love the people of our community. We love the people of our world. Father, and and Lord, we offer ourselves to you today, Lord, in this area of intercession and prayer. And I pray, Father, wherever we are in our understanding of all that, doesn't so much matter, Lord, we yield ourselves over to you. And we ask you to give us your words to pray over people. We ask you, Father, to uh, give us your, uh, show us the activities, show us the, the service that we need to do for people, Lord, so that in every way, 
Lord, in our lifestyle, in our businesses, in our words, in our prayers, Father, that we can be representing Christ. Lord, we recognize the fact and accept the fact we are kingdom people. We are your church. And Lord, we are planted in this generation for a reason. You have a reason for us to be here. You have a plan for every one of us. And Father, as we give ourselves to that even this day and this week, we ask you to use us to manifest yourself through us and to bring light and life to the people around us at every turn. We thank you for doing that, Lord. And I ask, Father, that this word that was spoken this morning go deep in our hearts. You bring understanding where there needs to be understanding, Lord. You bring us that revelation, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember, there's a card back there for Justin, and um, I guess I'll turn you loose. Say this on the count of three. Again, Joseph, thanks for being here. It's awesome. On the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.